We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. listener and welcome to episode 110 this is we have issues it's a podcast about comics Uh, you can find all the previous episodes of the show at wehaveissues.net you can also subscribe at your podcatcher of choice and we are on twitter at issues pod uh, all one word on facebook uh, there's a we have issues page and you can talk to me on twitter at nick site although my account is locked at the moment but i'm not being particularly fussy about who i make friends with um mainly comic talk i do on the issues pod account anyway uh it's also patreon supported the show uh, it's uh, uh the address for that is patreon.com forward slash totp and uh, you can give as little or as much as you want every month uh thank you very much to our uh, current supporters and everyone who supported us in the past and all of our listeners and all of our contributors. Um, thank you to all of you uh, in advance just for being here uh, and validating this nonsense. Yeah. If you uh, give us more than, I think it's $2 a month, uh, there's also a monthly uh, extra little podcast that you can get uh, from us, it's uh, my podcast spouse James and his daughter talking about something that catches their fancy once a month. Um, his daughter Scarlett is much better at this already than uh, than than we are, and we've been doing it longer than she's been alive. So, um, yeah, that's like the opposite of validation. Anyway, this episode is uh, quite unusual in the. Uh, most recent uh, run of the show um, in that there was actually more stuff. I had more stuff to go into it than um, than would have made a decent length show. In uh, the last couple of months, it's it's been relatively difficult to get hold of people. And uh, this week, I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd accounted for people not being around by pulling together um, a, a contribution from one person and uh, and recording a little bit with James in advance and stuff like that. Um, it turned out I didn't need it. Uh, John and Jane, who are uh, regular co-hosts on the show, uh, semi-regular co-hosts in John's case, um, were both around and they only had a book each to talk about. I didn't have anything, and I assumed... That, that, that would mean we'd only talk for a little while, but that was idiotic. So, uh, it's a, it's a decent length episode. Uh, probably too long. Um, actually, we talk about, uh, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud and The Motherless Oven by Rob Davis. And, um, I will, uh, pass you over to that now. And uh, all of the other stuff we had to go in this episode will be in a later episode. Uh, thank you to the contributors to those. Uh, we will still use it. It'll just be a bit later. Um, I'm not promising all of the talk you're about to listen to 
is actually about comics or on topic or or cohesive or coherent or anything, but it is talk. Um, And I'll let you go listen to it now. I keep finding weird things on Google. Like I used to, it used to be, um, it used to be a hilarious, um, a hilarious joke telling people to Google stuff. But Google has become so clever that you literally can just ask it questions now, mm-hmm. and it will sort it, which I just think is incredible. Yeah. And it's something that it's got. It seems to have got <laughs> so much better at it in the last couple of just the last couple of years. You yeah, can literally it's ask your phone. So what does blah 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 blah? Except that, have you ever seen a show called Baby Jake? You've got um, a no, child, I right? haven't. It's a CBB show. Oh. It's from a few years ago, <laughs> and um, it starts off for no apparent reason. It starts off with um, you get introduced to Baby Jake's whole family, which is about twelve kids. Then the minute the show starts, that's like a three-minute thing they Child have at the children. beginning of every episode. Yeah, they live in a lo- they live in a, a, a windmill, like human it's, children. Yeah, they're like yeah. I don't know, sex mad Catholics or something. No, it's it's really weird because you get introduced to the whole family, but the only two people who are actually relevant are Baby Jake, who is a baby, whose face is superimposed onto the animated adventures after this intro, <laughs> and um, and his older brother, who's the one who can talk to his youngest, the youngest brother but like slightly older than him who's the only one who can talk to him he narrates the show but like so you get this three minute preamble in every episode and it's just recorded it's exactly the same they don't it's not like they film it every time where you get introduced to the whole family and then it's just an animated adventure of baby jake that is very routine it has like the same songs but in different settings and stuff but the oldest daughter in the family it's unclear how old she is she's only on screen for a few seconds but the oldest daughter in the family is um quite attractive like the first time i saw her i thought she might be the mum because it's hard to tell but then you see that an old like a another person in it so she's quite attractive and it's unclear whether she's supposed to be like older teen or or whatever because there's loads of them Mm. uh they each of them like her name starts with an a i can't remember what it is and then basically it's a b c d all the way to jake so it's Mm. like there's a few of them um and i thought she's quite attractive and this was a while ago i wonder if she's been in anything else so I started asking Google. I said, "Is the older sister in Baby Jake?" And Google finished legal. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's "Awful." Oh, I mean, I guess that was clearly what I really wanted to know. But <laughs> you can be more polite about it. Yeah. Did you feel less guilty because Google suggested it? Like, I don't. Because well, that's clearly what a lot of people have asked Google, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's like you do find that now. Like, if you type in "Is Emma Watson," it'll be like. Legal or a lesbian, a lesbian, uh, married. All yeah. those, yeah, those are going to be the, the top things. Ones. That obviously, you want to know if she's married because if she isn't, you might be in with a chance or something. It's the patriarchy. But man. um, you say about like baby Jake, like yeah, I've got Devin, but at the moment he is obsessed with Batman. Like I mean, literally. Oh, I wonder why. It is, <laughs> no, it's got to the point that it's almost all he ever says. Mm. Like I literally come home from work and it's just like Batman, Batman. Batman and I'm like like he's like he can fully identify Batman 
he can he sort of says duh man mm. for Spider-Man yeah except it's got to the point that you're saying Batman so much that I'm worried people are going to think like some sort of toddlerized Hodor I see so you think he might that you're worried that people will think he's broken I think I mean it's kind of normal that like, wasn't what I was getting at but, but yeah Nick was your Google he just said what you really wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point but he um <laughs> the the funny thing I, I mean I, I part of it is that it's us that we're their parents but like Noah and Max they couldn't watch well Max is slightly different because he watched a lot of stuff that we wouldn't have let Noah watch just by dint of the fact that Noah's old enough to watch them but the he got to know he must have got to know Spider-Man and characters like that from my bag and stuff like that yeah. but he wasn't allowed to watch anything with any of those characters in because every TV show and everything with them in has fighting in so with yeah. Noah when he was small, I mean, okay, we don't have to get into who the better parents are, John. No, I but don't if you're mean showing that. I mean, violent programs, then you're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that is something I've genuinely been considering lately because he's getting a bit more kind of like physical, and I'm just sort of like, okay, maybe there is something in sort of like what he's seeing. And obviously, he, he's Batman. He's so completely just like Batman, mm. and he loves it. So I am wondering if he's watching these Batman cartoons with me and then just like oh that's brilliant i'll punch dad in the face yeah i mean that might it might be no because my boys my boys are quite violent with each other i think it's i don't think it's just well i think he can be quite violent with one of his friends but it's just that kind of it's once they're out the house jane you can't control what happens to them once they're out the house so like even if you're trying to socialize them as a wonderful little like lovely soft little not not troublesome uh, troublesome baby men so that they might be nice men later on and not be part of the problem the second they're around other people's children even if they're other people that you like you know you don't know how they're bringing up their children they might be like making sure the girls dress up in princess outfits all the time and the boys are like fighting gladiatorial battles with each other you don't know everyone's gone quiet I don't I can't do you ever think your children are like, do you ever get a day like, oh, you're you're being a real dick? Do you ever get yes. that? Like, yes, you oh, do. I'm actually just like don't like everyone's you right everyone's meant to talk about how like magical parenthood is, and you know what? Like, I'd say probably sort of like most of the time. I, I don't know, I, maybe like eighty five, ninety percent of the time. Like, it's great. I love it. Even for all the sort of mm. slightly annoying stuff they do. But yeah, there's that little sort of ten, fifteen percent where you're just like, my God, you're being a dick today. Mm. I like, just and you're never meant to say that apparently so you that's don't love not them. like the d- response you're meant to give but like you do think it yourself god's sake well you just you think about, about everyone else including yeah. your own family members i think my worrying might be slightly because I, I think i think amy would have a different answer for that question um but for me, my twat. expectations, my expectations of everyone at this point is so low, and my experience of the people around me—not anyone present, obviously—but um, my experience <laughs> of the world around me is so sort of pragmatic that, like, I can at least understand why my boys oh, are being yeah, dicks when they're being saying, dicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and I'm just like, well, we probably should have given him. For me, I'm very much like, it's not that I don't ever lose my patience with them because I do now. Apparently, that's the thing that started happening recently. I, I prided myself on on never having really raised my voice with them up until really recently. 
No, when I say prided, I don't mean I'm not measuring myself against anyone in particular, but I was definitely better at not raising my voice with them than Amy was. And I might have been a bit proud of that. Maybe a little bit, not to throw her under the bus. But now that I've spent a little bit more time with them, because she does tutoring on a Saturday and stuff like that, so I spend a bit more time with them. It's not that I'm angry with them, but sometimes the only way to get them get their attention mm-hmm. is to raise my voice. And I and I kind of, but I understand why they're doing it. It's normally a food thing or whatever. Whereas with other people, I find other people act like dicks all the time, and it really does just seem to be like because they're. Because people are horrible. I at least, uh, I blame myself for it. I think what it is, is I do think they're dicks, but I blame myself for it. That I think that's oh, I what see. it is. And other people are dicks, so, but you, you don't have to blame yourself. Yeah, it's like, not my, it's not my fault. Them, it's their then, parents' yeah. fault. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good logic. It's I an like extrapolation of blaming sense. all of my problems on my parents. I think that's oh, what it is. Okay. Yeah. So I can't blame my sons for being awful. If I then blame my parents for me being awful, that doesn't logically compute. It's just something with uh, with everyone being at the age and having young children. It's something I, I ponder occasionally, especially when I think about when I was a child. And there are times where my mum has gone, "You are a dick." <laughs> what you know, like you're being a right dick now. And she never called me out on it. And I think maybe she should have done. No, <laughs> yeah. you turned, I think you yeah. turned out okay, yeah. didn't you? I know. I did say to her the other day, I was like, why didn't you tell me what the world was really like when I was like 12? Sit me down, right, Jane, this is what it's going to be like. Why didn't you prepare me for this? She goes, that would have been mean. <laughs> when, um, uh, prior to us starting recording, I was talking about someone I've met. I'm not going to go into detail about them, but it's someone I've been dealing with a lot recently. And um, in their case, I definitely think someone should have sat them down and well, told them there was a the whole point of too often. much positive reinforcement yeah. and not having that constructive constructive Ew, criticism, criticism yeah, yeah that, that a lot some people just need to have but then it depends what kind of life experiences they've had some things are completely involuntary there's stuff that mm. just happens to you that gives you a different perspective at a young age which means you're humbled or you you react to things differently because you haven't had nothing you've had something very life-changing or at least character-defining happened to you at a young age. It's usually quite tragic or something quite hor- hmm. like horrible. When I say horrible, I don't mean like in a you're abused kind of way, but something not very nice happened yeah. to you. Mm. And then you see people, because in my last job, there was somebody I worked with who had nothing but positive reinforcement. He'd had such a lovely childhood and upbringing. And in his parents' divorce when he was old, like had moved out and stuff. So it's just... But he had, no one had ever said to him you're wrong or that's not right or it challenges opinions yeah. in any kind of way it's always been like yeah, you're you good at everything kind you of can need be whatever that. you want to be well this yeah. is where you get into things like reality tv and x factor Ooh, and you might think how the hell did i just make that leap but bear with yeah, me that was <laughs> it's like x factor the reason we get that sort of like opening six week salvo of just complete Dirge of people that can't sing. How do you is because know this? Pair of, well, I I know do people watch that watch it. it. Oh, okay. No, I don't. He's met someone but, one too. Yeah, who no, watched it? You wouldn't know them. They live in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, it's the fault of. Um, I just think like parents overdo positive reinforcement. Yeah, I think and I they think tell it's... their kids that they're amazing, and their kids fully believe this and go on a TV talent show and get mocked by the nation. But is that a selfish extension? Selfish extension of themselves to think. Yeah. I've, you're amazing because you're part of me and I'm amazing. Maybe. Or, or and, and there I, is a, they want to be their child's best friend. They're looking for validation yeah. from it. James once said something wonderful. He's not here, obviously. He is. He's here with us in spirit. Yeah. 
Uh, we should pour one out for James. He's not <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh But one of the things he said from when uh, uh, his daughter was quite young was when she was starting to bring stuff home from from, from the nursery or whatever was he doesn't want to ever lie to her but at the same time you can't just be honest so he would say to her oh Scarlett oh that's almost really good yeah which um, has become a bit of a mantra in our house as well for things but okay so to to put it another way I, I the three people here around mm-hmm. the table I suspect we're all pretty down on bullying aren't we we don't oh, like it bullying's yeah, bad, that is bad. Anyone, anyone that does not, like it don't... probably needs a swift kick yeah in yeah so Which we're pretty some down people on might it. construe as bullying so but is it possible to... to feel that way about bullying to really dislike it while also sometimes when you've met someone thinking oh, they should have been bullied more at school that would have taken the rough edges off them because I've met a few people like that on the one hand, I wouldn't wish bullying on anyone. But on the other hand, I think some people had too easy a time of it. <laughs> or do you think, or to, to rephrase it, do you think, why weren't they bullied? Why weren't they Well, there's an element of that they? as well. Yeah. How, did, how did I win that lottery and they didn't? Or not win? How did I lose that lottery and then, they didn't? Do you think, um, okay, they had it, they, you had it worse than they did. But you got it better now. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's a positive spin on it. silver lining on it. And that's actually life as well. Yeah. And you know what? As a grown-up, bullying doesn't really... You can... Uh, wow. It carries on, doesn't it? Does it does carry actually. on. Still a lot but of it. you... Um, especially if you experience as a child, you've got more of a... I'm going to do it. I'm going to do swear now. Do big swear. Like, fuck off. We're not in a schoolyard now. You swear. That kind of thing. Yeah, I, I feel that a lot. But that's, I thought that's, a lot. that's the mentality you have now. I'm like, no, this... Uh, no. <laughs> one of the worst lessons, one of the hardest lessons I learned growing up, and it's taken me about 15 or 20 years to learn it, and I don't know if I have really because it still surprises me all the time, is that that stuff doesn't all stop the minute you leave school. No. It just changes, it yeah, refines. No. It does. But you, um, I feel like I'm way better equipped as an adult. And I, yeah, I get worried because I can be quite... Mean. Not mean. Because I'm really mean to people when I think they're bullying me. Oh, no, no, no. I give as good as I get, yeah. but I will shut down that situation. And then not in an aggressive way, but in a this is not happening kind of way. And I think, but then that comes stems from a competence I have from the fact that I interact, especially in my last job, with hundreds of different people in hundreds of different ways as well. So that's a, something I've built up from from that experience. Not everyone's had that, but I... Anyone who experienced bullying as an adult, especially like as a child, it's it's more delicate mm. because you they're not an adult, and there are some things that you don't understand until you're an adult. Where it's not okay to to be mean to people all the all the time, but it's good. It's okay to protect yourself, and here are the ways to protect yourself. But as a child, it's it's childish, so it's not like you can uh, have that intellectual. <laughs> self-assurance about some things but as an adult you should never ever tolerate it ever any kind of bullying and you you are without the physical side of it well within to say no no that's not like calling out someone on it i think that people get scared because they don't like confrontation but you'd be amazed when you do call somebody out on it how they're like oh because it goes both ways i think I don't like confrontation, but it turns out I'm really good at it. I'm really good at it too, and I don't like it either. But I don't I, like who I am when I've really started having a go at someone. But, but then I, I kind of do as well. So. But then there's the thing that comes back to the whole you don't 
like people with bullies. And if yeah. you see someone bullying, you're like, no, right? that's not going to happen, either to you or to someone else. I've, I've, in my last job, I love saying in my last job. I love it. So uh, we should. That's that's actually Sorry. no. That's fine. That's that's probably plenty of catching up. Oh. Uh, it's been ages. So it's been ages. I think since any of us have been in a podcast studio. <laughs> so um, since any of us have been in a podcast, it's been ages since I have, and certainly you guys. Although John and I were probably we did. Yeah, we did you talked to me about ago. Transformers a few weeks ago. That could be any number of podcasts <laughs> that I've done with you. Um, I'm amazed but, this isn't a Transformers book right here. So it, it very nearly was and then it's just like no i can't do that again it's good it's good though we've got like two or three people who really and it's good for me because i don't get it at all i need to start reading the the transformers books that that john's been talking about because he's talking about them pete hammerson's been talking about lost light is it is that the most recent one it sounds really good it is very good it's very strange but it's you know ultimately I, it still feels like something I didn't understand when yeah. I was a teenager, so I don't know if I'll understand it now. I but, mean, you know, no, I there, think are gay, there are gay transformers now. Gay transformers what? in a sitcom. In a, that, in like, what, and it's written what funny, Lost Light apparently. Is. It's a sitcom. So, transformers have genders. I didn't know that. Oh, the Transformers have genders thing is a very, very weird issue in terms of... But, but they're not... There is... Uh, See, because I, I almost kind of look at it in some ways. But I'm not sure if the Transformers are gay simply because I suppose having female Transformers means that they are gay. Mm. But it's because there's no gender there and they have this ability to sort of connect and share sparks, as it were, which is like their soul thing. Is that what they do? Kind of, yeah. And then they sort of develop a relationship. And it's it's something that's not really touched on until you get to the more than meets the eye, but it's touched on in such a really eloquent way and really delicately handled that I was like, oh, that's brilliant. You know what's funny, uh, listener, by the way? You were listening then to John. That's John. He's been on the podcast lots of times before. He's he's one of our main podcasty people. You can find him on Twitter at John Momb, mm-hmm. J-O-N-M-O-M-B. He's old school. He is. He's way back in the day. He's mm-hmm. from. He's. We know. Knew him from back in the block. <laughs> oh, that could just be because I rarely use Twitter. Um. Um. But when John was talking to me about this a few weeks ago, it just didn't. Even, the look on your face and the way you were responding to it, I don't understand why that didn't occur to me. Because I don't think I'd realised that the Transformers had genders. No, didn't even. Didn't even occur no. to me to ask the question. <laughs> I just. They're robots, though, aren't they? Do I they think. have any? Do they have? Junk? Do they have junk? I was going to say, do they have to reproduce They've by mating? They've got a whole mating? planet of it. But, um. <laughs> oh, very good. Do they have to mate to reproduce? Yeah, how do they reproduce? Uh, they, do they just lay little car God, eggs? <laughs> that there's one mean... you get up ending machine and pop them open and there's a little car in it. And then if you get one's a bit of shit, you're like, oh, I'm going to grow up. That that that's that's pretty much what parent, parenting <laughs> is like, Jane. <laughs> Um, that's uh, that's Jane. Hello. Uh, if you listen to the podcast lots, you'll know her too. Uh, cover cover Jane. Cover Jane. On Twitter. Cover Jane. From, Is it with a hyphen? No, I'm hyphen free. It's all. There's no hyphens. Just because I was thinking cover Jane because it was just a cover name. Uh, and then just stuck. That was in lieu of going private, wasn't it? I went private recently, and I haven't looked back. Uh no, I'm public. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And so, I have. I love my. Um, I love my. I'm so narcissistic. I love my profile picture at the moment because it isn't of me. But it's of Jane Jetson, and she's just putting on her. She's sleeping. She's putting on her day mask. Oh. That's what I love about the Jetsons. Do you know on TweetDeck 
the icons, people's avatars are so small that I tend to just identify people by vague shapes. And that's quite bad because if two people you know end up having a vague, even if they're completely different people, they end up having a similar avatar. You end up com- in like in that they're the same shapes and colors. Yeah. You end up getting really baffled about what people are saying. It's like, I didn't know they had a kid or I didn't know they were a woman who writes comics or um, I didn't know they were a, a Donald Trump. Uh, 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 pastiche account pastiche parody account it's getting increasingly hard to tell what's the pastiche and what's the real Trump oh, I love that he I love that he retweets his his main account from the president the oh, POTUS account God. I think that's so ridiculous yeah. I mean yeah, it's possible that's to see the, the funny side and still be terrified he's done right? since he became president obviously it is possible to it is possible to find it amusing and be terrified right yeah that's okay i hope so we're humans we can feel more than one thing at it's once maybe transformers can as well, our survival instinct is finding the humor in any situation even when it's the inevitable apocalypse of the world well i mean yeah it it'll probably be funny for some people it'll be more funny than other. i don't know should we talk about comics? Can we talk about one comic-related thing? Of course. First? Has anybody watched Riverdale yet? Yes. Oh, I haven't. It's great. It, did you feel like, I like this, but I feel like I shouldn't like this? Oh, completely. It's the, it's the guiltiest of guilty it pleasures, is. but I really have, like, I don't know if it's the Twin Peaks kind of influence or if it's Ooh, the... Oh, yeah. It's really, oh, it's it's very beautifully produced. It's, I would, I, would yeah. I have to say that the unsung hero of that show is the lighting manager. Seriously, yeah. whoever's doing the lighting on that show, give that man more work. A woman. Or, could be a woman. Or it could be a Why woman. Why did you sorry. just assume that, John? I, I don't know. I'm sorry, listener. Um, the, um, I, I mean, that's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I imagine we all know Archie and Riverdale mainly as a pop cultural reference that we get because yeah. it's because it's there but I don't think did any of us grow up reading those no, or really no. seeing any of the cartoons even no um, um, I've seen some of the cartoons and I've read some of the spin-offs Archie series but I haven't read any of the main storylines mm. and I so I didn't really know what to expect or how how it was going to be um but Oh, it's like it's got pop culture references within it, which was... Mm. And this is... I did not understand who it was pitched for, I will say that. Because I felt like I wasn't the prime audience for it. But they're making references to things that a younger generation would not understand. Mm. And that was a bit like, so is it for me? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I I don't know. I'd say the bracket is kind of aimed at is the 25 to 35. Oh, I am that bracket. Which is weird, uh, which is weird when you think about it, because Archie was like the, always the wholesome yeah, I, comic. That, yeah, that's, that, cha- that's changed over the last few years, yeah. but like that's what it's been famous for yeah. for all that time. Even though I, I swear the guy playing Archie wasn't born, he was carved probably from Marvel or something. I think that's your lighting person. I does Is he lovely, John? Yeah. He's ridiculous. It's just person. like he literally just walks across the screen. Everyone's like, oh, Archie's got abs. And like he just literally looks insanely ripped. Just and like, it's just no, like, Archie's uh, a okay. <laughs> well, what they've, been doing, what they've been doing in the comics in recent years, because I think it used to be that Archie comics were all... Archie comics was like the publisher... And Archie and the Riverdale lot were one thing, and then they had they had other properties that were kind of different that were set in like a sister town or something. I don't think I don't think Sabrina was supposed to be in Sabrina's an Archie comic, and yeah. I, I don't think 
um, she was meant to be in Riverdale initially, but now with the comics in recent years, they've kind of been bringing them all together a little bit, especially mm. in Afterlife with Archie, which is like the horror version of mm. it where they're bringing it all together. So I wonder if, because isn't there a murder mystery or a supernatural mystery or something? Yeah, it's it? very Twin Peaks. Yeah, it's John a said. murder it's... I don't think it's anything supernatural. If they did suddenly make it supernatural, it would feel a bit weird. But is it murdery though? It's very murdery. It's yeah. very atmospheric with it. Though. Yeah, it's very atmospheric. I know they've mainly focused on Archie and his friends. Are Josie and the Pussycats in it? Yes. yes. Really? Yeah. yeah, they've totally reinvented them for this because uh, my only experience with Josie and the Pussycats is the, quite frankly, astonishingly good film. Pussycats. From uh, whatever year it was they made it. I love I think that it was. Film. I think it was like 2001. It's yeah. really... So much. It was my favourite film of that year and almost nobody saw it. Oh, so. brilliant. Don't you just have backdoor lovers stuck in your head? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing is, I've got a real... Um, I've got a thing in films where if I see product placement, I get almost kind of like a weird reaction i hate seeing product placement in films it really jars i watched Josie in the pussycats and i was just like that that gets a pass well the whole film is just product placement wall to wall i don't know if this is just something i imagined at the time because i haven't really found it when i've gone googling for it but i remember i remember getting a sense that the people who got product who paid for product placements in that film, some of them were not exactly happy with what they got because they didn't mm. realise it was going to be... A <laughs> no, that, is, that is actually, like, a lot of them were a bit sort of like, oh, okay, we didn't realise it was going to be like that. And it's like, well, doesn't that who just cares? Your logo's the still there. That's what you yeah. bought. It proves the point of the film, doesn't it? I know that, yeah. And I know, I, know that the publishers, I know that the publishers had to fend off an awful lot because at that point, although it's difficult to imagine with a lot of the comics since, but at that point... Um, they had to fend off a lot of audience response because the the like the Christian community and the more mainstream white American community for them Archie was always because Disney comics weren't always around I think and like so for them Archie comics was the thing that they always knew was safe and wholesome mm. they could show their kids and mm. so I guess they were the main people who were buying Archie comics at the time so when Josie and the Pussycats came out and it's not it's not an overtly sexual film, but it is kind of cheeky and naughty, and there there is quite a lot of quite adult humor, humor or subversive humor in it. I think they had to they had a bit of a reaction to it among their reader base because it was completely the opposite of what they wanted to take their kids to see. I think. Oh, I love it though! I love yeah, it so much. Yeah, it's a great film. And Rosario um, Dawson's in. Yep. Yeah, I think that might be when I started loving her, and that hasn't that train is still running <laughs> but it hasn't reached a station yet is yeah, Rosario Dawson legal <laughs> she is yeah I mean obviously she is she's way I was, was going to say I'm pretty sure she is yeah otherwise there was that Danny Boyle film where she was naked and I don't think they're allowed to do that in films what if film they're not that? what Danny Boyle film in um, which was Rosario Dawson oh, I can't even believe it my sentence is just gone film? Up. Is no film seriously google it He'll probably go, is Danny Boyle legal? No! <laughs> is Danny Boyle what? still alive? Is what it will come up with. Susan Boyle's cousin. <laughs> oh, I'm looking it up. And Frankie Boyle's cousin. They're all one, it's all one family. That's The Cam. Boyle family. Yeah. They're all Scottish. Uh, Danny just drops the accent. Rosario. Oh, no, hang on. I can just ask Google. Rosario Dawson, naked, Danny Boyle. Oh dear. Hang on everyone. Hopefully I haven't got the speaker on and I can just read it to you. Quite often I forget 
that the volume's on and Google starts talking to me and I don't like it. It freaks me out. Oh, Devin oh. quite likes it when Google talks to him, except normally it just says, I can't find this. When Devin Shh. just goes, ah. Rosario Dawson was with Danny Boyle. Yeah, they were a couple for a year and a half. Sunbathe's topless in Barbados with boyfriend Danny. Oh, Daily Mail, never change. That's not a film. No, no. please change, shut down, die. Right. Okay. Never mind. Um, that's you not did find, find out the name of the film. If I'd known they were in a relationship with each other, I wouldn't even bothered. <laughs> that no, because that is literally all of the Google results are about their relationship with each other. That's they you... were in a film together. That was how they met. A film uh, together. Danny Boyle made it. Did he? He made it. She was in it. Um, it wasn't Sunshine. I remember. No, no, it wasn't. It's definitely not. A full it wasn't Train Spotting. Uh, it wasn't Train Spotting Two. Slumdog Millionaire. It wasn't Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> It wasn't. What other films is he in? That one, 28 minutes. One, 28, 28 days, days later, that's There's him. There's full frontal nudity in that, but that's a Gillian Murphy. Wasn't in that. No. And um, uh, the it's not. Uh, what's the one with the man who uh, the man who the man who had to cut off his arm? I think that's what it's called. Uh, 28 hours later. <laughs> 18, is it something like 18 hours? No, it's isn't 120, 127 hours. That's what it is. It's a long time. I'd have probably cut off my arm well before that. Oh, hang on a minute. Would you cut your arm off before you decided to drink your wee or would you drink your wee anyway? Because <laughs> you're in a similar situation where you've always wanted to try it. You now have a reason to try it and no one can judge you for it. But you could have cut your arm off before. Hang on. Uh, hang on one sec. Ask Google. Uh, okay, let's see. Okay, Google. Would you cut off your arm before you drank your own wee? Not way, we. <laughs> what happens if you drink your own urine? This is not answering my question. There's well, a, it's so, a pre-research. If you're on a scenario, you know if it's going to be worth it or not. We can we can get a sense of uh, we can get a sense of how the different publications work. So the top option, the top <laughs> result is from Marie Claire or Marie Claire. Mary Claire, Claire yeah. uh, Urotherapy. What happens if you drink your own urine? Urine. So then there's a link from io9.com which says, oh. so you need to drink your own urine. Um, then there's a popsci.com. Classic FYI. Is it ever okay to drink your own urine? And then there's a whole bunch of others. But it not, turns out. not the answer we were looking for, is it? No. It turns no. out an awful lot of. Um, They're not going to commit. They're just going to be on the fence. Like, if you do decide you want to do this. Trance. Trance? Oh, I've never seen Did he that. make a film called Trance? Yes, oh. in 2013. What? That's pretty recent. <laughs> Will drinking urine in a pinch save your life? But here's one. So the, one of the options is 127 hours, that's what it's called, <laughs> earns high marks from doctors. That's in the LA Times. And then Quora, which is where you can ask questions and just random people on the internet can answer. <laughs> um, so it's like a posh Yahoo answers. All right. Um can you survive eating your own flesh if you were trapped, lost somewhere for ellipsis? I'm not going to. I'm not uh, going to follow that link. No. Should we talk about comics? You two yeah. both have books in front of you. Who wants to go yeah. first? I don't mind. Uh, Jane should go first. I go first. So, um, so I'm a bit rusty. It's all right. And talking about rusty. Oh, uh, very clever. I read. Um, so I for Christmas. So I've had a little bit of hiatus of comics for lots of reasons not because I hate comics I do love comics but they didn't have space in my life recently but they are coming back in force because I have lots of comics to read Mm -hmm. I got a bunch for Christmas and one of them was The Can Opener's Daughter by Rob Davis which I 
didn't realise was the sequel or follow-up book to The Motherless Oven. I don't think I knew that. No, I've I heard didn't. of The Motherless Oven. I haven't heard um, of the other one. Which I, well, I say I, life partner Steve, owned. And when I got the can opening store, he went, oh, so you've read The Motherless Oven then? I went, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did. I read it. So yes, this is the book you, I'm going to talk about. You blagged your own life partner. No, he knows I'm lying. All right, okay. But it was cute, and yeah. I didn't look so stupid. Oh, and then okay. he made me a cup of coffee, so it was all good. Women are such manipulators. <laughs> <laughs> I've been with him for seven years yeah. now, so just, God, yeah, has it been still, that long? I know, I know. He's still, uh, he's still, um, he's still wanting to go with it. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like basically, it's his own fault. Is that? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. After a certain point, you're culpable for your own. <laughs> situation on you I think exactly that's in a in a healthy relationship that we can make jokes about if you're in an abusive relationship that has lasted that long I'm not blaming oh, you for it that yeah. was not me blaming you for it I'm sorry listener that might have seemed insensitive oh that went dark yeah I'm, I'm sorry okay yeah so The Mother of Seven right by Rob Davis and it is who's self-made hero oh yes I don't it's know a nice looking book self-made hero books tend to look quite nice oh it is a gorgeous book so it's a um, it's a story about uh, a world where most of the adults especially people who are parents are not humans oh yes they are abstract objects and I say abstract because they are almost pieces of artwork. So some of them have, so they can communicate in a way. They can do things, so they can care for their children. Um, they may be a light lamp, a light lamp, a light lamp, a light lamp, as opposed uh, to any other sort. I was say light bulb, but I meant lamp. So they could be a lamp, but they can, they have lamp, like arms, <laughs> like the Pixar lamp. Yeah, oh no, he doesn't have arms. Oh, no, he, doesn't. he just jumps around. So you know, like <laughs> well, it seemed quite impressive the I'm first time I saw it. But... For... <laughs> sorry, I just shout over that. Really sorry. Um, Poor Pixar lamp. Pixar lamp is adorable, but he doesn't have arms. No. But he is perfectly capable of destroying the Pixar sign by jumping on it. So he's found other ways for his destruction to come. <laughs> And just think of what a monster he could be if he had arms. I was gesturing under my chin, like I'm the head of a lamp. Oh, uh, that you have one of those um, little doobries that come out of the bottom that you move the lamp. So I'm talking like a desk lamp. Yeah. So longer versions of those as arms. (laughs) I I specifically didn't want to look in the book and show you because I thought. I know, describe this. It's going to be amazing. Word pictures are good. It is a podcast. incredible. And then you get to look at the comic and then look at me and then I'll be shamed. Um, so, yeah, it's it's they are they are in a way that some of them can function as, as a human, I guess, and others just can't. They are big brass instrument, but not any kind of instrument that we would know. It's not like a big trumpet or anything like that. It's just they are an... an abstract object it's it's truly bizarre truly it is as weird as it sounds it is extremely weird and i loved it from the get-go um they have different object gods that people have just in their house so they have the weather god who tells them what the weather's gonna be like and when they tell them about the weather we're talking about knife storms so where rain is just basically kitchen knives (laughs) 
coming from the sky. So I know. This is all stuff you learn in the first in the first few pages. Um, you have the seasons have to be switched on and off as well. Yeah, so you have to you have to, and you have to do it at certain times, and it can go wrong. So turning a season off can have catastrophic, you know, effect. <laughs> um, Everyone has a death day. So the children are humans. So they are humans. Right. And they have... Um, and people can grow up to be adults. Um, I'm assuming that all parents are objects because part of the premise of the book is the children created the parents. Right. But no one can really remember That's doing it. Yeah. So it's, it's there are some sort of vagaries that the children understand. When I say children, they're sort of in their early teens. But it's what they're being taught. So they're being taught that children built parents. So it doesn't mean that they built their parents, but, well, yes, it does, actually. It does mean they built their parents and people will rearrange their parents and their parents will break down and, yeah. That's so weird. <laughs> it's very weird. But um, so people have a death day. So it's not you live until you die. It is a certain day you are going to die and everyone's death day is determined when they're born. So you know what it is. Yeah, so you know when you're oh. going to die. Yeah. So this story follows Scarpa Lee, whose death day is three weeks. And oh. he is, well, I think, 14, 15. So he's in his teens at school, uh, learning some very bizarre things about his very bizarre world. Does everyone die that young, though? No. Oh. It's really... It, there's no. Seems unfair. It does, yeah. It really does. Do they know how they're going to die, or no? Just that they'll no, die? there's no reference to how they're <clears> going to die, which is really interesting. And that's this book had me gripped in a very unusual way. <laughs> um, so you follow Scarpa Lee, and he has three weeks to live. Um, first off, you're like, does he? Does he go in a chamber? Is this like the lobster? Does he have to go somewhere? And if it doesn't happen, he gets turned into, you know, how, how does it work? Will he get turned into an, an object? Or, yeah, it, it's very, very strange. Um, so we're following Scarpa Lee and uh, he has a group of friends. Everything's as normal as it can be in his world, but he's going to die in three weeks. And you feel like no one's really reacting to that very well. And he is internalising it. So as part of his therapy or coping, he gets given um, a special device to, uh, like a thought trumpet, I think it's called, a device where he talks to it and it's like a diary and just reads it back out to him. It's a kind of way of him coping the fact that he's going to die in a few weeks' time. So you get his narrative and, and as the story goes on, as the story, you know, pans out he um is becoming more and more aware of how unfair it is and he doesn't want to die and you know what's the point of going to school and you know there's all these things that sort of play out as um as the time goes by um they don't have tvs they have um something called a it's like a weather it's like a weather chart and they have a different one for each day and it's I don't, know how, reference... I don't know how you'd know the difference between what the objects are and which, what the parent like if objects can be so parents. the objects can talk sorry so the parents can talk sorry and some of the gods talk but they no. don't I suppose it's the level of articulation so the parents can talk in sentences and respond to people and have conversations whereas the gods tend to just say things they sing songs and they don't it's it's very chaotic and it doesn't it does have a meaning but it has no sense um and a, a lot of what they're 
in this book, particularly a lot of what Scarpelli and his new friends he meets um, are trying to determine what some of these songs mean. So they've got one of his friends is saying that they, it does mean something. If you listen, it does mean something. And some of them have been modified so they're only saying part of their song or their mm. saying or their proverb. So it, it's kind of unusual in that sense, but um, that's how you can distinguish... You you can distinguish between the different types oh, right, of okay. objects and their level of intelligence, I suppose. Um, but the um, the weather TV thing, I mean, it is like you go into the loud, like saying like too much. Hmm. The house right. setup is how we would have a house set up. So they have a sink, they have lights, they have stairs, they have furniture, and arranged in a way that we would expect it to be. And in most family or most houses, you have. Um, in most homes, you have furniture arranged around a TV. Mm. And it's not, you know, it's the same in this world, but the TV is a weather wheel. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's well, not weather wheels. It's like it's a wheel. So it's a day of the week wheel. It's a Wednesday wheel, Tuesday wheel. And it's, it's um, yeah, they watch it. <laughs> it's very, very strange. So it sounds like the the content of this world... Sounds like a bit of a fever dream, but the impression I'm getting from what you're saying is that the actual storytelling and what happens to the boy is actually quite... Crystal It's clear. not like the whole comic isn't a fever dream. No. It's just that he lives in this really yeah. weird world. Yeah, and his story is very... He's very so what, his storyline is very clear and his friend's storyline is very, very clear and it's, in, there's intrigue and you you know you don't know where it's going to go, but you follow the narrative perfectly well. Sorry, it's it's the weather clock. So the weather clock is to make sure that if it's going to rain knives, <laughs> they know before and can get inside. So it's it's almost like a weather warning. <laughs> if you know when you're going to die, what difference? I mean, you wouldn't. That's you true. might get maimed though. Yeah. I suppose. Um, you don't necessarily know if you're going to get maimed. Yeah, and that's it. It could be you die in a, in a knife storm. So, yeah. yeah. It, and I don't know, there's no reference to trying to, to to bring forward your death date or anything like that. But there is a character who doesn't have a death date. Oh. And that's where things get quite interesting. So the world is very abstract. It's very surreal, very strange, but all, at the same time feels very normal. The characters feel very, very normal. Their relationship, so it, we've, we get to a situation where Scarpa has another, a male friend and a female friend, and the same torments and everything mm. that you have at that age still come through. So that's all perfect. It's all perfectly pitched, and it's just so beautifully entwined in this really mental world. But kind of like a metaphor of being a teenager, you don't understand yeah, everything that's around alienation? you. Like yeah. alienation and fear of mortality. Yeah. It sounds exactly like. yeah. yeah. So that that's the undercurrent of it, and it, and it's just so perfectly done. It's it was brilliant. I really, I, I it's um, it's unusual because it. I usually finish a book in a sitting, and this is quite a, this is quite a hefty one. But there is so much. So Rob Davis is the drawer. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much detail. It's a black and white comic. It was a black and white sorry graphic novel, but there's so much detail, especially with all the abstract objects. You really mm. want to have a good a good look at them, and mm. like, oh, what are you made of, mm-hmm. and how do you work, and some things are made of metal, and some things are made of ceramic and how do you move and you know it's just it's so strange you can't help but stare at it but um it's really good i read it over a couple of days which is unusual for me but i think it's because i spent so much time pouring over each panel Mm. just to get a good look at it are they quite 
do they look quite nineteen sixties? Do the guys look like mods? Don't uh, they? Yes, yeah. yeah. So that I yeah, mean, that's 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 a good observation. That a style thing. It, it does have a mod today. Like yeah. a crazy observation because when I was reading the blurb earlier, it said about is it the guy's mother has made a baker light. Yeah, which is obviously something that was only really sort of around. Oh, she's a hairdryer. I always thought she was. Like, from the 90s. I think it was like so the 1960s. So that's the aesthetic. Maybe Rob yeah. Davis, I think. There's a really good section on it in, I think, the V&A Museum. Yeah. Or, no, the, oh, not the Science oh, Museum. What's yeah. the other one? See, now, I thought that's she was a lamp, but that's because I... You got a bit obsessed with lamps there for a minute, Yeah, no, Jane. I did. But I, don't, <laughs> I think it's because um, I've never seen those sorts of hair dryers... It wouldn't. Right. It wasn't the first thing I came to my mind. I see. Yeah, because they're like over. The, yeah, but because yeah, okay. it is all in such a surreal. It doesn't feel like. It did have a mod feel, but it didn't feel like it was set in an era. I couldn't. You couldn't define what time it was because there's nothing that really. Because this the cars. Um, are, well, most people ride their parents if they can. Um, <laughs> that sounds awful. As in transportation. Oh no, I think I understand. Yeah. <laughs> But there is some cars in this, and they are just like 1920s original Fords sort of type cars. Um, so uh, the um, so it doesn't have an error. It doesn't have a feel of a certain error. But yes, now you say it, actually, she is a an old 1960s yeah Baker like hair dryer. Um, I mean, that's always quite an interesting way to sort of. To make something feel timeless, you take certain things yeah. that are really distinctive from each sort of decade or time period, and then you sort of find a way to put them all together, and it gives you this nice, weird sense of like you're not sure when it's meant to be, and it's because I suppose the when isn't important no. because it's that exact moment in that person's life or the end of it, um, as this may be. Rob. Rob Davis was born 1954. I just I didn't Google this. I went to Wikipedia. So he was born 1954. So the era we're talking about, that would yeah, make but, a certain amount of sen- yeah. sense as well. That would be the era he grew up in through mm. to the present day as well, yeah. wouldn't it? It's from Dorset. But you read... Um, the, I was trying to think because I, I thought he'd done something specifically about 1960s music. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he did. I couldn't find anything about it. But it... Um, he was the chap who came up with the idea for Nelson, yeah, that's which right. he co-edited with Woodrow yeah. Phoenix. And I know you've covered, you've yeah, read that, you covered that before, yeah. didn't you? So uh, it's a very, it feels like a very English aesthetic, a very British aesthetic. Yeah, oh yeah, this but also yeah, sort of nineteen. Yeah, this is very. The book 60, feels very 70s. British, very British. But um, it, the the thing I really took away from it, um, taking what happens in the story out of it, just how clear the characters were in this very chaotic world and a nice metaphor of it being mm-hmm. a teenager and navigating a world you don't understand, you don't get like the old people in this, so the very old people in this are like Victorian All right. <laughs> you, know, you know and a little bit Margaret well, that's That speaks to what John was saying, that thing about world building was spot on, Yeah, yeah you mm-hmm. take things that when you're building a world like that you can yeah. but I also think that's kind that. of how you sometimes see it when you're a kid and you meet an old person you just think they're this kind of like timeless figure old time, yeah. and you do think of them as like oh they're Victorian or something and actually now they've just only been alive since like I don't know the 20s or something it's difficult because you still probably if you're like me you still you still have to do the sums someone was saying on Twitter the other day about how um 
uh, I think it was someone was born in 1990 or something. And their first instinct was to think that person was 10 years old because they mm. still think it's 2000. You, yeah. still, you still have to do that mental sum to add 17 years to everything because like, September 11th still feels like it was yesterday and it was 16 yeah, years ago. Yeah, I think ago, the whole so. thing with September 11th is because that was such a distinctive moment in oh. time and because everyone remembers where they were when it happened. Um, and just remembers that day so clearly to us it will always be like it's where we think of it and go oh that's instant recall if you try and think of like 3rd of April in 2007 you're probably going to have a bit of a harder time of it yeah I've been thinking a lot about the passing of time because I keep thinking generally because I keep thinking for some reason recently I've been thinking a lot wow I've been doing the job I'm doing for about 12 or 13 years I've been doing well no for about 14 years and it's in that exact tone of voice I keep thinking wow I've been doing this for 14 years wow I've been doing this exact thing for 14 years it's still quite joyful you saying uh, uh, that you and Steve have been together for 7 years and that means we've been doing this for about 8 or 9 yeah. years and that still feels kind of nice but then I think about how I've been doing my job for, <laughs> for nearly 14 years um Thank you, Jane. That's okay. Think <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, time's passing, and sometimes it feels like it's time passing really wouldn't fast. A, wouldn't a death day be useful? I can <laughs> yeah, actually get out of this shit. They don't celebrate birthdays, so some people might enjoy that. Um, it's really, really, really good. I recommend you get it or put it on a list for someone to give as a gift because it would be an amazing like gift. Like a gift list? Like an, yeah, like a like gift Maybe on Amazon list. or something, an Amazon no, gift no, list. No, no wish list. It will be a gift list. You will get that as a gift. It, it's ideal. I am recommending to everyone now for comics as gifts. They're perfect. Perfect gifts. You'd say read that one first. Um, I haven't read The Can Open's Daughter. Oh. So I will I will be reading that next. Me a bit of a two, this deception's two, getting two more, parter, more confusing. Two-parter. It's going to be two-parter. So I will come back to you, listener, and let you know if you should read it in sequence or at your leisure. Leisure. Pleasure. Your leisure. Your pleasure. Leisure. Pleasure in your leisure. It's back to trans, tra- train spotting. That wasn't a Scottish accent, but that's a line from that. I'm not it? sure what the hell that was. It's Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle has infused this whole thing. Prefer Frankie Boyle, but you can't pick. You can't like choose your Boyles. Speaking of, has anyone seen Train Spotting Two yet? No, yeah. no, no. I thought Neither it sounded I. and looked awful, and then Aww. everyone I know who's watched it has been like, then they're all people roughly the same age as me, and they're like, uh, it was maybe a bit too close to home, but it was amazing. Aww. It was exactly about having all those plans and none of them coming to fruition. Oh, I think I looked. I loved the, the train. I can't wait to see it. I thought it literally. Yeah, yeah I was really ambivalent about you and McGregor, and then he and um, Piers Morgan got really upset about <laughs> him, and now I like him again. Yeah, <laughs> I know that kind of helps. I mean, it really helps when someone doesn't like Piers Morgan. That endears me to them a hell of a lot well, more. The, the best thing about that was not to get too bogged down in it, but the best thing about that was that literally you and McGregor decided he wasn't going to get, he wasn't going to attend the interview and tweeted about it once as far as i know yeah. he, he wrote one tweet just explaining i can't i, I don't I, you know i was going to be interviewed but i don't want to be interviewed but by piers morgan after his comments about the women's march or yeah. something like that and that was it and piers morgan's <laughs> first response was about how like like how fragile or whatever ewan mm. mcgregor was and blah 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 but he was still talking about it something he was still tweeting about it something like two weeks yeah. later he was so like Offended. He was. He, he was just such driving a people to his rubbish little show, and that was yeah. it. It was just all. 
Ian McGregor did him a huge favour oh, by not true. doing that. So, but I liked the fact that someone decided actually I don't want to be in your presence yeah I don't have yeah. to do this I, I don't, don't have to exactly. I can choose not to it's just um, choose life yeah choose uh, not doing an interview <laughs> choose yeah I am um, the the thing the only thing that makes uh, Piers Morgan and Katie Hopkins bearable for me at the moment not quite Nigel Farage but and this is like I don't think I think Trump's horrible and all of that but the one good thing about Piers Morgan and Katie Hopkins trying to latch on to him so much and like sucking up to him on Twitter etc is um, is knowing that he probably doesn't know they exist they are so desperate I mean he maybe does know Piers Morgan exists because they're both American TV stars but like that they so desperately want to be in the same sphere as Oof. as the guy and he and it and that in itself is quite pathetic. Unfortunately, Nigel Farage is bosom buddies with him, which means I can't feel the same way well, about that. Do you know what? This is gonna sound terrible. I'm gonna say it anyway. There's something that could be orchestrated here about getting all those people into the same room. <laughs> I don't bit yes, like I agree, I'm, Jane. I'm we should say this off the mic probably. Glorious bastard style you know get a good film going get a beautiful actress that kind of thing I I wasn't agreeing with you and then you said beautiful actress and suddenly (laughs) I really perked up thought I might hook in half of listener we need listen I mean I know podcasts aren't really on their radar yet but like uh, if if it comes up, if it happens that if you want to travel to America or whatever, you have to give across your social media passwords and stuff like that, we should probably have this conversation off mic. If we're talking about an actual, you're talking about an assassination plot. No, I, I, Nick, said I'm ass. just talking Did about I everyone. Say said ass, I'm but. just talking about everyone going to see a film, but you know, all these people want to be friends <laughs> in one place. In yeah. one place. Yeah. So. I was just suggesting that wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. And if if somebody else wants to take and take a view of that and decide to do something else to entertain the world, they could do that too. I was just being puerile and immature. Is it <laughs> no excuse? Arse plot. <laughs> I was um, just being elaborate for no reason. The um the um the you said place and you said friends and it made me think of uh it's not I'm not gonna bang on about it. We won't won't talk about it now. We will not talk about it now, but the good place. If you haven't watched the good place, it's well worth watching. It's very okay. good. Thank you for the uh, recommendation. John. Yes. That comic that Jane was talking about sounded a bit confusing and maybe a oh. little bit difficult to understand. What have you got to talk oh, yeah. about? Um, okay. Uh, this week I have Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art by Scott McCloud. Segue, <laughs> that was really underwhelming. He's, he didn't really seem committed no, to actually, that. I think he's whelmed and that's about it. Yeah, uh, just oh, no. We're just whelmed. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from understanding comics is that I don't understand comics. Um, that... that's the easiest way to put it it's like I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of the listenership will have read this book um, if they haven't they should go and buy a copy and read it now or ask for it as a gift on a gift you, list on a gift you could list ask for it I'm on all a gift about list. people giving gifts but then you have to wait for someone to give it to you and therein lies the problem because it's one of those things that's so like everyone should read it 
now. So John's going to gift it to everyone. When you put something <laughs> on your know. Amazon gift list, <laughs> yeah. every time you go into Amazon, it says, why not treat yourself <laughs> yeah, to something on your gift list? He's like, oh, I, I deserve a gift. So quite often I end up just buying myself stuff off my gift it's list. it's still a gift. Yeah. still a gift to yourself. It is still a gift. Or you could buy it for somebody else and then borrow it afterwards. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Or yep. buy it for somebody else and just not give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> Like I once did with a Barbie. <laughs> did you? I was a child. Oh, okay. Yeah. I talked to my mum into giving me the present. <laughs> you were a little shit. I wasn't a shit. Dick. You were a little dick. That little was dick. your word. Yeah, maybe that was one of the... Actually, that, maybe that was a dick. You shouldn't hear a dick. Have your fucking Barbie. <laughs> Have your Barbie and fuck off up to your room. Dick. There were two presents she got, and I talked to her into giving me the Barbie, and the other presents she gave to the... What was the other present? <laughs> it was an outfit for Barbie. <laughs> it was a tennis outfit. I think the other person had a Barbie. I didn't oh, have okay. one. No, I didn't know I fair. wanted that's one just... until my mum's going to buy one for someone else. That's just distribution of wealth. That's yeah. fine. You were on the right side on that one, I think. John, <laughs> tell us about this book. <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably quite a lot to talk about, so maybe... Yeah, no, yeah. what I was going to say is... is like there's so much understanding comics is basically about what are comics and you might think that's a relatively straightforward question until scott mcleod basically starts picking it apart and opening it up and pulling bits out and putting bits in and throwing things around and then within about the first three pages you're just there going "Uh, okay um i would say the main thing he kind of sort of goes into is the obviously the part of it being the invisible art and he kind of explains and it's something that I genuinely don't think I'd ever realised until I read this book that storytelling in comics doesn't happen in the panels it happens mm-hmm. between the panels mm-hmm. it's all in the gutters mm-hmm. and basically what you do or the art of a good comic is basically just giving you enough information so that your brain fills in the gaps between the panels and that's how the story reads and like I said, to me, the first time I ever read it, I, this my second time reading it, like that was a revelation. Um, the whole book was a revelation that basically made me completely read comics in a com- completely different way. And if I'd say they were completely one more time, something well, don't, don't might make happen. it worse. <laughs> yeah, don't tempt it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, it's like I said, it's a really, really difficult book to try and explain and pick apart because it's you could spend an entire podcast just on each chapter alone about how comics from like he goes into sort of like different nationalities and explores how different styles have influenced different writers um in particular scott mcleod's always had a bit of a thing for uh japanese manga and um have you ever read zot yeah, I haven't. His I've seen previous book. bits it's of it, but I haven't. really good. Um, Zot is a very... It was an attempt by Scott McCloud before this, but when you read Zot, you can see how the ideas in it fed into understanding comics because uh, Zot is basically a science fiction soap opera about a superhero from one Earth and a girl from our Earth, and they basically fall in love and have a relationship and it's very kind of he wanted to try and write something that was more like a manga story but 
with American ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting because what you see as you read Zot is you actually really get the sense of where he starts out and where he ends are two completely... Like it's so it doesn't always feel like he ended at the point he was meant to, but he's ended at the point that he's kind of come to in his own mind and just been like, right, I'm going to go here and do this. And he sort of ends up doing some really amazing things with Zot. It's a really, really clever book. And the thing is, I feel like a lot of the cleverness in it wasn't intentional sometimes. It feels like he just kind of discovered something and went, oh, well, what if I did do this? He started being analytic about comics when he wasn't... And this is kind of where the the analytical side and understanding comics comes into it because it's him literally sort of going where I've... You know, I write comics. I make comics. Um, What is it I do? And there's quite sort of like in Zot, there's notes at the end of each chapter... And he talks at length about how uh, they were friends at the time with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, Mm -hmm. who who created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and basically about the fact that him and his wife were so poor while their best friends were getting, like, all the success. The richest people in comics for a little while probably, yeah. yeah. Doing exactly what he wanted to do. Mm. And he was like, well, you know, like, do I just sell myself out? Uh, what do I do? What do we do with this? I don't know. But he also mentions that obviously for him, understanding comics was that point where he went from being like, okay, I'm struggling to, well, this is comics. And all of a sudden he was, this was a huge success. Like it's, I can't think of other than maybe Will Eisner's uh, sequential storytelling Mm -hmm. books. Like, I can't think of any other books about the actual craft of comics. And it's something like... If, I don't know if you've read the Will Eisner ones as well. I don't know if I have, actually. They're really... The Will Eisner ones are really nice because it's... You feel with Will Eisner like you're actually learning something from the person who effectively invented half this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least found a way to turn it into a viable language. Um like I've read a few Will Eisner books. A Contract with God is amazing, and the plot is also very interesting. Uh, but yeah, he, his books on sequential storytelling and understanding comics are pretty much it. I imagine I haven't read the Will Eisner ones, but I imagine they're very much from the perspective of Western. The, the thing that I like about that book, and you touched on it before about <coughs> understanding comics, is is that it it sort of it probably doesn't cover everything. Because certainly it it happened at the beginning of web comic like web comics mm. were just becoming a thing at that point, for example. But it certainly tried to look at just and I don't know if you were gonna to touch on this, but the thing I like about it isn't just that it's about comics, it's useful when thinking about any visual storytelling at all. Um because there are things that he covers in that that you also cover in film theory and and when, mm. you're, when you're talking about other visual media, about the way um, the, the, you said about the invisible art, and it's not necessarily about what happens in the gutters, but the idea of closure is one of the ones that really yeah. blew my mind. The fact that, like, when you look at, say, he uses the example of a wall of wall of soup cans or something like that, I think, mm. that, like, you're not looking at a wall of soup cans, you're looking at the fronts of... Uh, 
there's there's all sorts yeah, of these concepts that your whole... brain's always working to fill in gaps. Your brain's always working to fill in texture and stuff like that that works in in animation. It works in in TV. In particular, the everything. idea about faces and the fact that the human eye is trained to see faces wherever it looks, and even goes into the concept of well, the way I'm drawn in this is I look cartoonish. Would mm. you have listened to me if this was a more photorealistic drawing? Mm. Um, and just all the way in which we have extensions and connect with the world around us. I think I read that around the same time as I saw The Sixth Sense. And it's it's <clears throat> like people um, rag, obviously rag on um, Charlemagne. But the reason The Sixth Sense was so successful, and I don't know if I'd have necessarily thought about it this analyt- analytically, but because I'd read that around the same time, it's like the reason you fall for all of the things you fall for in the sixth sense, if you're just experiencing it rather than trying to outsmart it, all of the things you fall for are things where you're looking at something and your brain is filling in yeah, the gaps your brain because that's what gaps. you expect yeah. to see. So there are scenes where Bruce Willis is talking to his wife and because it looks like the sort of conversation you see in films all the time, um, and if you don't know that there's a twist in it or whatever, it looks like two people in a relationship who don't get on very well having a conversation. That's exactly what it looks like. But that's all, and that's he he basically covers that sort of yeah. storytelling. The way that you can you can sort of um, rely on the audience to do certain things, but you like to do certain to jump certain gaps with their brains, but at the same time. The yeah. same thing. I mean, with the motherless oven, yeah. you're you're interpreting relationships there because they're familiar to you, even yeah. though they're it, it's with oh, objects yeah. and stuff like that. It's and I think that's kind of like I said. That's like I said. A lot of the book is about the fact of it's more about how much work the reader does mm. and about how. And it's weird because obviously, where it's told in a comics format, it is at that point going well we have to show the audience here how so you kind of end up using what the book is telling you to read the book itself mm-hmm. um and it's a like i said it's a bit of a brain melter um i don't think words could ever do it justice uh one of the things i you sort of say about like the different cultures and that and like how he sort of focuses on japanese comics in particular which are interesting because they developed sort of without any influence from western art mm. and stuff and then by the time american influence really did start impacting on japan you saw it kind of became a cross pollination thing because they started impacting on manga so you had things more like akira which is very westernized and then you had sort of the japanese manga influence coming the other way and one of the things i find really interesting is, is he talks about sort of the very like he's talking about the possibilities of digital comics and the one thing I've seen him talk about in this, I've seen him talk about on film, is that he always just says about how digital comics are going to be like, oh, they'll be amazing, they can go any way you want, mm. and yet they never actually That's do. One they still that hold on really to the page format, and yeah. it's like, oh yeah, digital comics never have kind of broken out of the frame of just having the page. We've talked about, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but I think part of the thing that's held back digital comics is the desire to not... Um, the, the the kind of desire to have it replicate the current retail environment mm. and distribution model in physical yeah. comics, partly to keep retailers happy, but partly because they don't want to they don't want to innovate with digital digital comics. You see a certain amount in web comics, mm. like with um, uh, 
that I use the app Tapastic to read web comics, and they still normally go top to bottom. But you know, and you're yeah. you'll normally because most web comics you go, you read a couple of pages and then you click next yeah. and you go to the next page. But in Tapastic, the page there are some oh, comics that just go scroll. keep going straight oh, down, which is which is better, pretty cool and it's pretty interesting. And yeah. every comic wouldn't necessarily be great no. that way, but it, it's they do. Are, there are people trying to do things that are a bit more interesting. I mean, that's yeah. always like I've seen it occasionally in a couple of guided view comics on mm-hmm. Comicsology where they've done something a bit neat with the panel change. Um, there was a really good uh, Michael Ridd one. I think it was issue one of Madman. Mm-hmm. Where there's a scene where he's like doing something with a yo-yo and they actually managed to get it so that the panels replicated the movement of the yo-yo and it was a really right. sort of quick flick and it was like, oh that's really neat and I'm kind of like how do people not do this more mm. I mean like I've seen a couple of the ones like there was uh, some of the stuff Mark Wade did with PDF type comics mm. when he was starting out with Thrillbent and some of the stuff you got from that was really interesting. It was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. Lots of weird transitions where yeah. you saw the panel and then the next page and it looked like it was almost animated. Yeah, not, yeah. it looks almost animated. But again, that's because it's not. It's just yeah. like they're laying one image over another. And it's about the fact that the mm. reader's brain fills in that gap. And it's, well, the gap doesn't necessarily have to be from panel to panel. Um, I saw, I think it was I saw someone did one of those with Old Man Logan Mm. and there's a scene in it where you've just got a three panel grid from the comic with Wolverine's hand, his eye shut, his eye open and then claws popping Mm. and they literally managed to turn it into two panels where you just saw the hand, the eye, the eye opens like literally over the top of itself and then you see the same image with the claws coming out and it was really effective as a kind of like, oh wow. Like it just managed to take this moment mm. and just make it feel almost animated. Yeah, but it's because again, there's the whole thing in that understanding comics about time and the passage of time in comics and how do you sort of deal with that and having like different spaced panels. And again, like said, so when you take things like those sort of almost animated comics, you get to a point where it's like, right, we can put this moment into one thing, and so mm. it changes the pacing. And it's about, like like I said, the whole thing I like with Understanding Comics isn't just that it makes you think, like, wow, I've never thought of it like this, but it also just makes you realise there's still so much that can be done with the medium. Mm. And that's why it's one of those things that I'm like, I think everyone who reads comics should read it. It's kind of like the core text. I Yeah. I'm, at, at, the risk of, at the risk of making the point I made earlier, but again, I think it's... I agree with you about people who read comics, but it is such a... Because nearly every visual medium relies on mm. the same tricks. So, and animation's built around that because you're not actually looking at a moving object. Mm. You're looking at a sequence. You know, it's... Yeah. It's... Um, because the whole which thing he might even be a point he makes in that but I'm he just does lifting. make the point where he just gets yeah. a reel of film and says, isn't this just a really long comic? Mm. Yeah. But actually, when you... Th- go through it fast enough what you're seeing is 24 frames a second is that okay? he also does this thing where um like there's stuff in there that is as good as any infographic like he some of the points he's illustrating are quite complicated but have you read it jane actually no, i don't I know it's really it's really cool i haven't read it in a while um but his uh, his facility with infographics or with 
like explaining this stuff visually is really great i still think about the panels where he's breaking down he's breaking down the different styles of comic Mm. so uh, manga and european comics and whatever and he kind of he kind of breaks them down quite visually doesn't he yeah on one page so you can see how they all measure up against each other Mm. um and a little like in terms of how he's analyzing them i'm probably like mangling that a little bit but it's it's all really they are big ideas but they're all really really clearly yeah explained. i mean that's i mean the whole reason i read it again was because i'm gonna start rereading akira which and i was like okay well i kind of wanted to go back to it to sort of think right what am i what because i've read akira a couple mm-hmm. of times like 2000 pages it's though it's a bit of an undertaking and part of me was like well I kind of want to know what it does do differently. I want to sort mm-hmm. of look at it a bit more analytically this time. And like I said, I've read the first book now and I'm kind of, there were things in that that this time I picked up and I was just like, oh, okay, that's very interesting. There were things I just never noticed before in the way, I think because I was just so used to seeing it as a comic and going, oh, these pictures tell the story. It never occurred to me to look at how they did it. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't know. That's kind of the whole thing with this book. It just it makes you realise there are like you can go back and read stuff that you have read time and time over, and all of a sudden you've got an entirely new language to address it with, and that's kind of the beauty of it. It's just like oh, all of this makes a completely different kind of sense. Does it? Do you think it gives a, a new or better experience when you read comics? Or yes, I think it certainly gives you an appreciation for things that you hadn't seen before Mm. it's there are certain like i said there are comics i went back to after reading it and i was just like i wouldn't even have picked up on what i put into like what i took out of that scene and it's i think it makes you realize the things you you took out of it but how you take those out that's a really bad explanation no it's fine so you grew you grew up with comics john and you're uh, younger than me but you're like still old pretty much at this yep. point aren't you ancient um, I'm like Mumra, the so it, this is you've been reading comics for a while so it makes sense that they're a thing in your background did you ever do because for me reading and um, reading that book i read it quite a long time after i did my degree but my degree was a media sort of it, it was a, it was about looking at entertainment mm. objects and and um like and like critically Analyzing. pulling them apart and, and trying to work out how they worked and stuff. So for me, it was kind of an extension of that. Now, I know that that book is popular enough that it can't just be people who were already interested in how this stuff worked, yeah. how mm. stories work and and stuff. But did you have anything like that in your back, background? or uh, No. I. It's just that you've been doing it a really long yeah. time. I mean, I think it just kind of got to the point. I think when I did my degree and I studied religious studies and theology but then at a level i did psychology and sociology mm. and i think what comes as part of that is just and also with english like you just do critical thinking mm. and whereas when you're in an educational environment you think oh okay this is just the work i've got to do and it seems quite boring actually mm. when you apply those skills to other things now i sort of like me and Anna sit there and we discuss books that we've read or TV that we've watched and I will break it apart in a completely different way to her Mm. and she sort of says to me like don't you ever find it a bit weird that you just constantly analyse stuff and break it down I'm like no that's the joy of it and she's like but for her that's like taking the joy out of it yeah I I wonder about that because 
Um, I mean, t- it's probably fair to say that you and I have approximately similar brain chemistry or like similar sort of. Is we overthink things. Definitely, I am overthink the great things. overthinker. Um, but my wife is a my wife teaches psychology. She did a she did a psychology degree. That's like high level critical thinking and anal- like analytic thinking. When it comes to TV and and films and stuff like that, she is not interested in picking it apart at all. Not really. She's very much like I'm. I'm. I'm kind of watching or reading things. At, it feels like at a couple of levels, and this isn't to say that I'm somehow operating at a higher level or anything. I'm just. It's less good actually because I'm thinking too hard while I'm watching stuff, probably. But I. I can at least try and appreciate the characters and the storyline while at the same time in my head constantly trying to work out so how come why are they doing this if it's hospital drama we watch a lot of dumb hospital dramas and it's like yeah they haven't had a religious family comes in and they don't want to do blood transfusion storyline this season so that's obviously this season's episode of that that's how these things break down Mm. you do it with sitcoms you can work out well this is the this is when they approach this this point in the the evolution of this show and I can't help but do that and she's just not interested in that at all she just wants to absorb it and like enjoy the characters and enjoy the story and move on because Mm. it's entertainment it's there to entertain it's not there to to be looked at in any particular analytical way what you see is what you want to absorb but then I think you get to things like um, obviously like the more HBO shows, like, mm. or I would say probably the HBO shows of the last decade, I haven't felt it so much with this decade's mm. output, even though I've not seen The Leftovers all the way so through yet. <sighs> I d- I've seen the first series and it was amazing, and I keep trying to persuade Anna to watch the second, but it was just such heavy going. Mm. But I found with things like Six Feet Under and The Wire, and we're watching The Sopranos at the moment, I'm getting it quite like that, is that these shows are written to be analysed and... At a certain kind of, level, I think that's At a certain true, level, yeah. but they're also still entertainment. Mm. And it's the fact they've actually managed to strike that balance between we're going to make something that is popularist entertainment, but it's also slightly more analytical and highbrow. But do you think that's on the back of having a uprise in people who watch it, who want to analyse it, who have analysed it, who in the early days we got on the internet and talk about theories on different yeah, programs I and that's think what that they've helps. tapped yeah, into yeah, I think that's probably helped. that's something that's yeah. definitely a part of it but it hinders a lot of stuff as well <clears throat> I think it can it can ruin I think it can ruin a lot of a lot of shows because people are looking too hard at yeah stuff, I think maybe. there's but, I mean Twin Peaks would have just fallen apart under the <laughs> amount of scrutiny it would have gotten. I think it, well, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen with this new one. Yeah. But the thing at the same time is... Well, actually, even X-Files, because most of the X-Files came out before this sort of discussion was... But the, the X-Files, I would I would um, arguably say, was probably one of the first programmes that brought some of this out. So yeah. people started... Because the last to, half of it probably was... Yeah, yeah lots of people, because it got so continuity heavy. Like, mm. from from my point of view, and I was quite young, it was way more heavy, like, continuity heavy than anything else I watched. Yeah. Most things got into this groove, got a bit of a storyline, went a little bit into the storyline and then finished, whereas this got so deep into the conspiracy that it was 
uh, the mm. overarching conspiracy of the, the series, so the characters and everything else. And, you know, when you got to season five and six and you had those, I think season six, you have those random funny episodes because <laughs> to lighten the mood because you had yeah. to take them out. Um, and, that's, and I think that was probably where a lot of people started to pick something apart because it was about theories and conspiracy mm. that like an, ign- ignited some things yeah. in people yeah I think it was kind of definitely there was a point I think it's I think Twin Peaks was what started it and then you had kind of the X-Files sort of carried it on and then we got into that was where people really became about we want to sit we want to discuss this and it was kind of around the same time that the internet was just starting because that's the difference sort of, yeah. Twin Peaks was, was happening but people you just had to find someone who else who Local was watching who was it. into it yeah whereas like, like the X-Files had the internet and that kind of created the wave yeah that became oh we can talk about this even though like you you didn't have to just sort of like answer ads in the back of magazines or things so like that that was the end well, so what you're saying is that's the end of people just fucking enjoying something <laughs> I'm just seeing you thinking about this was like the lone gunman the, mm. you know that was they were con- they were what people were doing to the yeah. show they were putting mm. conspiracies apart and then publishing it mm. and, and talking about it so even you know had that whole element to it did you see the more recent series mm, of the X-Files it was alright I tried one episode um, they had they had one of the best episodes they ever made was it the Reese Darby one okay uh, the one the comedy one I'll have to it um, was okay but there was a weird I think was there a weird transphobic thing in it or something? I remember there was something odd about that episode. I I can't remember. I don't remember it being transphobic. I don't know if it was transphobic or if it was something else, but there was there was something odd in the middle of that episode that made me go, "Oh, you didn't need to, didn't need to do that." But I mean, otherwise, it was sort of really good. It was funny. Yeah, and it had um, that was one that kind of Kamel in it as well. Kamel Nanjiani, who I love, he's a lovely man. I don't know who he is. Have you watched Silicon Valley? No. Yeah. Oh, watch Silicon Valley. He's the, oh, the yeah, he's no. the the guy who would be played by a guy called Kamal Nanjiani yeah. in that. He's 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 Indian. I haven't. Uh, I think he's Indian. He might be a Pakist- He might be Pakistani. <laughs> I don't know which. Is. Oh no. Oh no. Ask Google. I bet it he's, will. What, he's brown. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> let's see what it auto finishes with. Um, just um, just while well, Nick's doing that on the subject of the new X Files, is um, Kamal Nanjiani? Indian. I watched the first episode, tried to watch the first episode, and I'm quite a big X-Files fan, I suppose. But the first episode made me think of the secret world of Alex Mack in terms of production <laughs> quality, <laughs> and I just couldn't get over it. And it was just... That's the new I mean, season. I remember, I remember, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember was, when you and I went to see the uh, oh, second yeah, movie, yeah. and it was kind of like, it came out, and everyone's like, I want to believe, and we're just like, I want to forget. Yeah, but like, that was just like a Wasn't it an extended thing about a child molester or something? Yeah, yeah it was with, a um, really weird. Was really the, cool. the first yeah, episode of the new season was, like, I like Joel McHale, and there might be a point in the future where I can see him in a dramatic role, but that wasn't it. It was already played too broad. Yeah. And so he seemed really, I was like, what is is this character am I supposed yeah, Joel to find McKell- him funny or? I think the problem was in a way the character he was playing was still too closely written to his character yeah. and community and because they were like oh we're going to write it like that it meant I had real trouble going oh well I'm going to take this character seriously because I'm like nah that's just <laughs> what's his face from community so um, I asked Google about Kamal, Nan- Man- Kamal Nanjiani it is telling me is Camille Mangione 
Indian. Was my pronunciation that bad? No, I think yeah. I think Google's being it's naughty. Google I think I think naughty. Google is basically just punking you. Can I um can I ask a question? Yes. Um, was there also one? Did Stot, uh, Stott? Scott Scott McLeod? Did Scott McLeod also do one called Making Comics? Yes, yes. That's... Was it Making Comics and then Reinventing Comics? Aren't there three? Uh, it's Understanding, Making, Reinventing. I've not read Making or Reinventing. He's. I think he was a bit in the weeds with Reinventing. I think I tried to read it and I didn't. I think there was because that's where he's really talking about the future of comics, and I think that. Oh. Well, he was already on the okay. wrong track, wasn't he? Yeah, it's one of those things. I think he's. I'm always kind of curious. Like, I don't know what he's done since these books, really, which is really terrible. You'd think someone of that kind of stature, like, you'd be following what they did since then, but it's kind of. How old are these then? Uh, this was 1993. Christ, that long ago? Yep. 24 Blimey, years. That's 24 years ago. That feels like. A, a forever ago mm-hmm. we've already got a bit confused about the passing of time in this episode it's beautiful I love it it's so I mean like I said the whole bit where he's talking about uh, when he was a kid and he used to daydream that the world was anytime he wasn't there the world didn't exist mm. and you kind of like well actually that's what comics do and then it goes into the whole thing and that's the whole thing with closure and the sort of like actually teaching the audience to understand that something is still happening while they're not there mm-hmm. and about how you do that with babies and that's what playing peekaboo is as they kind of sort of developed object permanence and it becomes not the game of orphan not orphan we all we all we all learned how to like we, we didn't know any of this stuff when we were born no. it, it seems so natural but we didn't know any of this stuff the idea of object permanence like once you hear it, it's like, oh, so we really do just learn all. Of, we're a potato when we come out. I think there is. <laughs> we can't also, really see. And there is a thing of just when you have a kid, especially you just sit there watching them learn this stuff, oh. and you're like, you never think of having to learn it yourself. But when you see them sort of like rolling over for the first time, or trying to work out how to crawl and get something, or like the ways they work out to do certain things, and you're like, I never thought that that's. Like, yeah. you never think oh, wait, about learning. So I mean, yeah, I, I think that's the thing that, like, I, I was always a little bit... I've always liked babies, but um, it always surprised me how into their children parents were. But, like, part of it, part of it is people turn into complete saps, or maybe they were mm-hmm. always saps and just maybe. needed that sort of validation. But they are fascinating because yeah. you are essentially seeing the building blocks of a personality. Yeah. And by the time you're thinking about that stuff, you're just like, well, this is who I am. I like this. I don't like this. This is an objective reality. Yeah. It isn't. You don't even think I like Brussels sprouts or I don't like broccoli or whatever. You think oh, Brussels sprouts are amazing and broccoli is shit. Or and and you can see it with that's why that's why we become so polarized in our in our politics and stuff like that. People think that it's just the last few years that have made us polarized, but the truth is we believe that what we believe is an actual fact and we always do that's yeah. how we get through life yeah. and then you watch a you watch a little creature and you're you have to spend time watching them because otherwise they'll like something awful will happen to them so you're already watching them because it's mm-hmm. your job to watch them and you start noticing a personality forming and part of you is like shit did i not know this stuff when i started well, that, as well and, and you're seeing your own personality yeah, form in front and, of you and that's the thing that i think um i know my mum does and other parents find frustrating when their children grow up 
and they saw that and like I saw you do some amazing things mm. as this blob of flesh mm. that was just moving around and you figured out all these things uh, why why can't you bring your crockery from your bedroom down yeah. the stairs I know you can do you know and I think that's that's that might that's like a source of frustration for parents because but not for for the children because like what are you going about? I just, I can just do, you know, like mm. everyone can do that. Like, no, I witnessed, I witnessed you figuring it out. Your brain was developing in front of me to move from your bum to all fours. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. It's um, that could be where a lot of frustration. Where they get frustrated? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, we've still got that to come. My mom gets frustrated. I don't remember things as a baby when I was a baby. Well, my mom. <coughs> Just, I mean, are we? Is it like no? I, you, you said you said my mum gets frustrated, and I immediately thought it was a competition. No. I was like, my mum's frustrated by every single no, no, fucking no, no. thing she I did. Just, I win. It's just, um, it's just a funny, a funny answer of my mum. Uh, m- me having a full blown argument with my mum in front of life partner Steve about if I'd ever been on a plane. This is prior. I've been on a plane a few times now. Prior to being on a plane, and she's yes, you've been on a plane. It's like no, I haven't. And she goes, yes, you've been, you've flown. And I was like, oh, what in your tummy? And she's like, no. And I was like, no, I don't remember ever getting, as a child, ever getting, you know, on a plane, no holiday, no nothing like that abroad. We always, we always holidayed in this country, always holidayed, 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 holidayed in the West. Locally. Um, locally, mm. so, you know, poor. But um, she was like, yes, you were six months old. And she was angry at me. I couldn't remember a flight to Copenhagen when I was six months old. Do, when do you get object permanence? See, isn't it around that? Like you I don't know, know anything that's yeah, going on when you're know. six months old. I was going to say I've got two distinct memories from when I was aged two years old. But one of them is my second birthday, and there is a photo of the moment I remember. So ever since I could remember it, I'd look at it and go, "I remember that moment," and because of that, it's that's how we remember a lot of things. It in my head. And then the other one is I remember my parents i think they put a nappy on me and my dad sort of caught me with the safety pin because i was moving about and so i remember that because it hurt yeah pain memories i imagine they tell the story a lot as well don't they yeah like those memories i imagine your parents tell the story of no oh they don't oh no they're two really distinctive um, memories because i i remember being christened but people tell me i couldn't possibly have because i was so young and i don't really remember anything else till i was about do you remember other people getting christened that around about your age maybe you're a bit older and you remember that and i don't know i don't think so i I remember i remember the well you see and that's the thing i remember that when i was younger i remembered being christened but I don't remember. Rem- oh, I don't remember, so remember the actual event anymore. But oh I remember that I remembered having yeah. a strange old beardy man yeah. like dipping me naked into water and me really hating it. Yeah, it wasn't a nice experience. So it isn't like I'm not contextualising it yeah, from the outside. I so yeah. I think I must. But then uh, but people tell me I shouldn't. Hang on. So okay, Google, come on. Okay, Google, you're supposed to. Re- oh, fucking hell. Sorry, maybe. What are you trying to get? Now? Okay, Google. How old are you when you get object permanence? Hang on. Um, Google might think you're talking about Google and not people. This is the point where Google actually achieves sentience. Yeah. Right, so next time this comes up with your Mm mum, 
right? Oh. You, before eight months, a baby will think that an object has disappeared if it is covered or hidden from view. For example, if a special toy is covered with a cloth, that's object permanent. Yeah. Yeah. So after that point, and different children develop at yeah. different rates, but normally oh, until eight months... You don't have object permanence, which means you didn't even know your mum existed if she even, left the room. How could I even comprehend on, on a plane? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't I mean, even comprehend. So you can tell a mum, it's actually, it would be biologically impossible for me to remember that plane check. Because the other thing I find quite funny with the object permanence is at around eight, nine months, that's when Devin started playing peekaboo with us. Mm-hmm. We'd always been playing it with him and then he would start doing it with us. And we're like, does he think he's teaching us object permanence? Because that's like... But it kind of makes sense and you think about it like, oh, okay, because obviously he still at that point thought we were just extensions of him. Yeah, pretty soon he'll be at the stage where he's lecturing you almost constantly about how to play games and how to do everything. That's Noah's in that stage at the moment where you say, so am I supposed to do this? And he says, no, you're supposed to do this. And it's normally almost exactly what you just said. <laughs> he's just being really specific. It might just be him. I think that's no, I think something that's all children do, though. Yeah. They want to be overly specific yeah. because it's this kind of there's either right or wrong. And there's a mis- lot of misunderstanding if it isn't exact. Like, if it isn't exactly what they've said, you've completely misunderstood what they've said. Yeah. At some point in their development, I guess, I'm sure it will happen soon, you get to the point. Because at the moment, you say things about him and you go, oh, Noah's doing this. And other parents will say, oh, yeah, yeah, they do that. That's really cool. And there'll be a point where I'll start saying, oh, and Noah does, uh, uh, yeah, isn't it weird? They get to that point where they they just, uh, like, habitually piss in one corner of their bedroom. <laughs> and people are going to be like, um, no, I think that's something you've done to them. <laughs> that isn't, they don't all do that at the, the point, you've, you've broken and beyond repair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there's something different. Their kid's broken beyond repair. Yeah. They're oh, not yeah, going to admit. Definitely. You're just a, you're just like to share, just in a different Nick, way. That's, you know. I think that's why we have we get so alienated and have so much trouble. It's not that some of us are broken and some of us are not. It's just that we're broken in really incompatible yeah. ways. Or in the same way, but most people don't want to talk about it. Yeah, well, that's also true. Yeah. I think... Uh, we've had one book about understanding comics and we've had one book that takes some work to understand. Yeah. I, I think that's probably us. We've been talking for bloody ages. We have. Yeah. I said, oh, we just need to talk about a couple of comics. I haven't got anything to talk about. Well, this won't take long. We're all too good conversationalists. We are. Mm-hmm. With each other. Listen, might disagree. Please tell <laughs> us if you agree if you or disagree. disagree. Or- if you agree or disagree, yeah. it's not a yes/no question anymore. It gets more complicated. Just agree or disagree, and then maybe start a conversation. Uh, you can do that with Jane at Cover Jane yes. on Twitter, and you can try and do that with John at John Mom on Twitter, but he's not really on there. No, I, I am. I I'm find more of I a find Facebooky. Oh yeah, one of those. I don't you, do Facebook. Are you not locked down on Facebook? Yeah. I'm yeah. locked down pretty tight. I don't trust anyone anymore. And now I know <laughs> that John that John is locked down pretty tight, which sounds sexual to me in a weird sort of a way. I don't know why. I think given my job, I kind of have to be relatively like International careful spy. of what I say. So, And I think some of the stuff I say, they'd probably be a bit like, ooh, don't know about that. That glorious like, bastard thing's mine, spy. by the way. You know, you're not allowed to resell that to anyone. No, I resell it on <laughs> Facebook, don't worry. Um, I I don't know when we're all going to be in the room again. Is week this after a schedule? next for me. Week after next for oh, me. Awesome. Yeah, and we don't know about John, 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 John as and when. I'll Have I got something to talk about? Is is when John is around. Normally, he gets excited and has to talk about a comic. 
I, on, in all thing. honesty, I didn't have anything when I said, yeah, I'll come on next week. And then I was like, I better read something. So you're not supposed to tell that. us that. You're supposed to just, you're, the air of professionalism, John, that needs to stand. You had it all along. Just waiting for the prime moment. I've I've confused matters because we that we're going to be I'm going to be doing the admin before this in the future I'm going to be doing the admin before this and in the future I'm also going to be doing the admin after this so um, unless you guys have anything extra to add I'm going to pass it on to future me Ooh, from later on tonight to tell the listener goodbye and all of that stuff but if you want to say goodbye to listeners you guys need to do that now okay bye goodbye, listener, listener. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? I've just made it way more complicated for myself than I needed to. We should have just done a proper show. And that was that. A nice, long, rambling chat with John and Jane, like we've always been capable of, and I should have planned for. Um, That was fun. Uh, Remember, we're Patreon-supported, patreon.com forward slash TOTP. Um, you can give as little or as much a month as you like and or nothing at all if you don't want to. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you to John and Jane for joining me in the studio. If, uh, it sounds, uh, a little bit, uh, lumpy or awkward at the beginning or end, that's because the intention was it would be a, a, a segment in an episode with more stuff in. So, um, there, there's kind of a, and we're not professionals by any stretch of the imagination, so there might be a little bit of clunkiness there. Um, I guess we'll s- listen to you. No, we'll speak to you. We'll release another episode next week, and maybe you'll come back and listen to it. Uh, remember, we have issues.net. Uh, rate and review us at your podcatcher of choice, if that's a thing you uh, are able to do. And, uh, and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.